Strangers, we're off this week for the holiday. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Strange, all about the Congress Plaza Hotel, the most haunted building in Chicago. In the meantime, enjoy this classic from way back at the beginning of season one. It's an oldie but a goodie and one of my favorites, Elevators, Terror and Death in a 6x6 Car. And remember, you can now get our episodes ad-free, plus get three bonus episodes per month at our Patreon. This month, we've got Patience Worth, the prolific literary spirit that came through a Ouija board, the bizarre history of Ouija boards, and people who woke up from comas to be like, I heard and saw everything. Go to patreon.com slash strange and unexplained to join for more of the strange content you love. See you next week. Have you ever been stuck in an elevator? For how long? 10 minutes? 30? An hour? Have you ever been stuck in an elevator so long you wondered if you might die in there? Do you think it's possible that an elevator can transport you to some alternate universe from which you may never return? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained, the podcast that asks for the receipts and is usually like, oh shit, this adds up. I'm your host, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor and a skeptic. This week, elevators. We ride them every day without thinking about the potential for death, but... Is that cavalier? There are so many things we use every day that we take for granted. Imagine life without refrigeration. Imagine life without television or books or cell phones. Actually, that last one I imagine all the time walking down the street without having to step around groups of people taking selfies, not being available to everyone every minute of the day, not constantly doom-scrolling while comparing my entire life to someone's highly curated social media feed. Anyway. Elevators. We take them for granted, but maybe we shouldn't. The first story I'm going to tell you is the story of Nicholas White. I first heard this story over 10 years ago, and it blew my mind. It has haunted me ever since. A quick side note before we begin. On Strange and Unexplained, we examine weird phenomena like UFOs and ghosts, but sometimes I might tell you a story that isn't so much otherworldly as it is just plain weird and creepy. Sometimes it's the most mundane things in life that change us forever. At 11 p.m. on a Friday in 1999, 34-year-old Nicholas White took a cigarette break at his job at Business Week. Business Week is a weekly magazine that, as its name suggests, provides all the business news one may need, which in my case is exactly zero. Business Week's offices were on the 43rd floor of the McGraw-Hill building in New York City. If you've ever seen The Devil Wears Prada, you've seen the elevators in the McGraw-Hill building. Meryl Streep strides through the lobby and gets on the elevator while upstairs Stanley Tucci yells for everyone everyone to... Gird your loins! 
For those of you too young to remember, cell phones were not ubiquitous in the late 90s when this story takes place. I got my first cell phone in 99. It operated as a phone. It didn't take pictures, it didn't text, and it certainly didn't work in elevators. I know. Can you imagine? Nicholas had a cell phone, but didn't bring it with him on his smoke break. Because people did not believe you needed to be reachable at every moment in the 90s. We were healthily detached from devices. We believed in voicemail. Yes, I swear, people would leave you a message and then you would call them back. And life would go on just fine. After his cigarette, Nicholas hopped back on the express elevator, pressed the button for the 43rd floor, and headed back up to meet his deadline before midnight. A few moments later, as the elevator ascended, the lights dipped and came back on, and the elevator came to a stop. Not a huge deal. He waited a few moments, and when nothing happened, he pulled the alarm button, which apparently triggers an alarm not just for whoever's on the first floor overseeing the elevators, but in the elevator itself. I know you can't pull a button, but you know what I mean. It's that red pulley trigger thingy that has a bell on it. You pull it, and you push it back in. Anyway, he got no response. He pulled the emergency thingy again. Again, no one responded. He tried doing Morse code, which I take to mean he did some random pushes and pulls with the pulley trigger thingy. How a 34-year-old guy from New York City with no military background with no Morse code is beyond me. Boy Scouts aren't really a thing in New York, you know? Eventually, Nicholas just pulled the emergency thingy out and left it there. So at this point, Nicholas is stuck in a small metal box. It couldn't have been more than six by six feet with an alarm blaring nonstop. Now, look, I've never been stuck in an elevator, thank Jeebus. The older I get, the more claustrophobic I get. I don't think I would do well. But apparently, Nicholas had been trapped in an elevator before when he was a kid at a birthday party. Some party, huh? I would imagine the only thing worse than getting stuck in an elevator alone is getting stuck in an elevator full of little boys. The crying, the snot, the farts, no thank you. When the firemen rescued them, apparently Nicholas asked if it was possible that the cables could snap. Smart kid. And I'm sure the fireman was like, ha no, of course they can't. Or said some shit about how if they did, Superman would come save them. Because people treat kids like idiots, which is probably why so many of them grow up to be idiots. The truth is the cables can snap. And Superman won't come save you. But more on that later. The cables snapping, not Superman. I don't need to elaborate on Superman, right? We're all on the same page there? Good. There were 32 elevators in the building. And it was after 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Nicholas knew that meant there was only a skeleton crew working in the building at that time. The thought crossed his mind that no one might notice he was gone until Monday. He hadn't made plans with his girlfriend for the weekend, so he thought she wouldn't notice he was missing. This is how it used to be, guys. Phone calls cost money. Texting wasn't a thing. Some of us had beepers. Why I thought I needed a beeper at 16 years old, I will never know. If you didn't hear from someone for a few days, it wasn't a big deal. Even if it was your significant other. 
Codependency only became cool after we survived Y2K and realized we had no idea what the hell was going on in the world and should probably find a human security blanket. However, Nicholas's co-worker had been in the office when he left to take his smoke break. So maybe his girlfriend wouldn't notice he was missing, but what about his fucking co-worker? Did she not happen to notice that his jacket and stuff was still at his desk? Was she not like, uh, this is weird. Maybe I should see what's up. In the elevator, time passed. Nicholas had no idea how much. He wasn't wearing a watch. He pried the doors open to find a cinder block wall with the number 13 written on it. Now, I'm not a superstitious person. I don't think the number 13 is cursed. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, my mom died when I was 13. So, yeah, fuck the number 13. Just strike it from the record completely. But here's the thing. This is when Nicholas remembered he'd taken the express elevator. Not only was he trapped in an elevator, he was trapped in an elevator in a vertical cinder block tunnel with no entrance or exit between the lobby and the 40th floor. At this point, if it had been me, I would have just given up and waited for death to take me. Oddly enough, Nicholas was not quite as fatalistic as I am. After prying the doors open, he managed to get his foot up on the handrail and try to open the escape hatch. Fun fact about elevator escape hatches, they're locked from the outside. I mean, this makes sense if you imagine that you've been somehow taken hostage on an elevator and your captor forces you out the escape hatch to jump to your death. Or maybe if someone is on bath salts and decides an elevator ride is the right time to see if they can fly. There is a space between the wall and the elevator so that rescue people can climb up to the top of an elevator from the shaft. Did elevator designers like hero stories so much that they made it impossible for you to free yourself? Maybe so many people were using elevators to commit suicide that they decided to lock them from the outside? Actually, guys, it turns out in the early 90s, kids were, in fact, elevator surfing, climbing onto the top of elevators and just, like, riding them. I told you life was different before cell phones. I didn't tell you it was better. Anyway, a couple kids died, and one kid was left dangling upside down by his leg 70 feet up an elevator shaft, waiting to be rescued. The kid gave an interview from his hospital bed and said, Elevators are nothing to mess with. I'll never do that again. You bet you won't, kid, because now all the elevator hatches are going to be locked from the outside. This is why we can't have nice things. At any rate, the hatch was locked. Nicholas couldn't get it open, try as he might. But even if it had opened, what did he think he was going to do? In the only interview I could find where Nicholas talked about this experience, Nicholas admitted that he knew even if he got on top of the elevator, he had no step two. What was he going to do, wrap his hands in cloth and try to shimmy up 27 floors? What if he didn't have the upper body strength of a rock climber? which, by the way, I don't think he did. What if he fell? What if he got up to the 33rd floor and fell? Look, I'm no engineer, but I'm pretty sure that would be, like, hundreds of feet. You get the point. Nicholas's options were limited. He pried the doors open again and peed down the shaft, hoping someone might notice trickles of pee leaking out of the lobby elevator doors. 
which is disgusting but also pretty ingenious. But apparently no one noticed. Or they did and just said, eh, it's New York. Someone is always peeing on something. Who cares? He considered throwing lit matches down the shaft but thought better of it. He yelled. No one replied. So now, in a metal box with no way to know what time it was, with an alarm unceasingly blasting, Nicholas sat down and went through the contents of his wallet, comparing the new $20 bill to the old one. Remember when they came out with the new money design and we all thought it looked like Monopoly money? Man, the 90s were weird. He read the fine print on a pair of Jets tickets he had for Sunday, probably wondering if dying in an elevator was a valid reason to ask for a refund. Finally, Nicholas took off his shoes, used them as a pillow, and laid down, contemplating his fate and his future. The carpeted elevator floor was littered with fingernails, hair, and bits of skin. Humans are truly disgusting. But also, ugh, what a way to die, you know? Forgotten in an elevator amongst the castings off of thousands of people. Nicholas put his wallet over his eyes to block out the light and probably to forget the fingernails and slept fitfully on and off. Keep in mind, the alarm was still going. He smoked a cigarette. Interesting, by the way, that the elevator company had the foresight to lock the escape hatch from the outside, but not to install a smoke detector? At some point, Nicholas pried the doors open again. He then tried to chip away at the cinder blocks. Guys, can you imagine? He tried to chip away at a cinder block wall with his fingernails. How fucking insane had he gone by this point? He didn't even have a set of keys to use as a tool. He went back to sleep. He imagined he was a bug. He was having auditory hallucinations because of the alarm ringing away. He had no idea how long he had been in that elevator. Had it been hours? Had it been days? Finally, finally, a voice comes over super chill and goes, is someone in there? Nicholas pops up and says, yes. And the voice on the other end goes, what are you doing in there? Do you have any ID? I can't with this. Do you have any idea? Are you fucking kidding me? That's your first question? The alarm is going off and you ask this guy if he has ID? I can't. Apparently, Nicholas couldn't either. He yelled back, just get me the hell out of here. It took another 40 minutes for the maintenance crew to get there. But at that point, 40 minutes must have felt like a few seconds because... Nicholas White had been stuck in the elevator for 41 hours. 41 hours. That's seven hours shy of two full days. It was Sunday evening when Nicholas emerged from the elevator into the lobby, exhausted, hungry, thirsty, and traumatized. Remember the coworker who was in the office with Nicholas when he left for his smoke break? Remember how at one point Nicholas wondered if she was worried about his abrupt disappearance? Remember when I wondered if she had tried to find out where he had gone and if everything was okay? 
Apparently, she was not worried about Nicholas. She was so not worried about Nicholas that instead of trying to see if everything was okay with him when he never came back from a quick cigarette, she wrote an angry note and taped it to his computer screen for all to see. Good luck, lady. Business week seems like a, a great place to work. There's a beautiful and haunting time-lapse video of Nicholas's 41-hour ordeal in the elevator. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, wait. Did I not mention? There was a security camera on him the whole time. There was a security camera on him the whole time. There were security guards stationed at the bank of 32 screens dedicated to the elevators the whole time. I'm going to say this slowly in case it's not hitting you. Nicholas White was stuck in an elevator with an alarm blaring for 41 hours with a camera on him the entire time. Are we all sufficiently incensed? Nicholas got a lawyer. Now, I'm not one of those people who thinks we need to sue everyone all the time. But this, this is when you get a fucking lawyer and you sue the holy hell out of anyone and everyone. Nicholas's employer, Business Week, sue them. The building managers, sue them. The building owners, sue them. The security company, sue them till they can't see anymore. Sue everyone. Sue the people who designed the lock on the elevator hatch. Get at least a million dollars per hour spent in that fucking box. Nicholas pieced out to Antigua for eight weeks because that is what you do after spending 41 hours trapped in an elevator with a functioning camera trained on you the whole time. Eventually, Business Week fired him because he literally wasn't coming to work, which, like, I guess I get, but also, come on, guys, have a little class. Nicholas ended up settling for an undisclosed amount, which he said was barely six figures. He doesn't really talk about the whole thing much. And here's the thing. No amount of money would have solved the existential crisis and depression that Nicholas fell into after this. Imagine going out for a smoke and not coming back for two days and finding out that no one was particularly alarmed by your absence. I mean, unless you're a beleaguered housewife whose husband went out for a pack of smokes and didn't come back until next week for the 800th time, and you're just like, there he goes again. Kids, your dad won't be back till Monday. Unless you're in that shitstorm of a life, it's really astounding to learn you might be that inconsequential. Not only did no one seem worried that he was gone, but his toolbox of a coworker was mad at him. I mean, the very people whose profession it is to survey the building and ensure it's safe and secure for all inside didn't even notice him. And they had the feed right in front of them. I imagine it would be tough to come out of that situation and feel valued and cherished, you know? I suppose it could have been worse for Nicholas White. He could have been trapped in the elevator with the building on fire. He could have been trapped in the elevator with a shitty coworker. Or a birthday party's worth of little boys. He could have actually died. 
I mean, that last one is highly unlikely. It is extremely rare to die in an elevator. We have Elisaya, which I assume is pronounced Elisaya and not Alicia. Otis, to thank for that. In the mid-1800s, Otis was annoyed at how often elevator ropes seemed to be breaking, sending passengers plummeting to their deaths. There's not a ton of data on how many people died in elevators back then, but it was a lot. So many that Otis was like, fuck this shit, and he invented the safety elevator, which had a fail-safe in case the ropes or cables did break. Before Otis, if the elevator rope broke, that was it for you. The whole elevator plummeted to the ground, hurling and crushing the people inside it. So, at the 1853 New York World's Fair, Otis stood on an open elevator, basically a platform suspended the same way elevators were suspended, but with Otis's new contraption attached. And he instructed his assistant to cut the rope. Rather than speeding to the ground and dying, the elevator lowered abruptly about three feet and then stopped. And people were like, dope, now we won't die all the time. And while people died less of the time, thanks to the Otis safety elevator, they still died a lot of the time. Nowadays, if you call an elevator, there are large metal doors that remain closed until the elevator has actually reached your floor and come to a stop. It wasn't always this way. For the longest time, no one thought to put doors on elevator shafts. So they were literally open pits that anyone could fall into if they weren't paying attention. Decapitation was a common way to die by elevator. I had the absolute pleasure of reading through a handful of articles from the late 1800s about various people who had had their heads chopped off or crushed by elevators. The main takeaway I gathered from these articles is that if you even looked at the rope in the elevator the wrong way, it would send the elevator careening up or down. And if you happened to be getting on or off at that time, that was the end of your head being attached to your body. In the early 1900s, 40 people died per year in elevator accidents in Chicago alone. That's one city in a country full of cities. Granted, there were fewer cities and fewer elevator buildings in the early 1900s, but that just makes the ratio of people dying in elevator accidents even higher. One place in particular seemed to have really bad luck with their elevators. The Adolphus Hotel in Dallas, Texas, saw an unusual number of elevator deaths. Only two weeks after it opened in 1912, a waiter walking backward to talk to a coworker stepped right into the elevator shaft and plummeted to his death, falling three floors and crushing his skull. Five years later, in 1917, a 16-year-old elevator boy tried to hop on an already moving elevator, missed his step, and fell 100 feet to his death. In 1924, a cook stuck his head in the elevator shaft to see where the elevator was and was instantly killed when the elevator descended onto his head. And in 1971, someone told the porter to make sure the elevator was there before loading the band equipment on. Apparently, the porter said, yep, it's there, and then stepped into an empty elevator shaft, falling two stories to his death. 
When did it occur to someone to be like, maybe we should put doors where the elevator shaft is to stop people from stepping into elevator shafts or sticking their fucking heads in there? Sorry for yelling, but like, come on. The gap between inventing the elevator and inventing the elevator door is far too great. The worst part about most of these deaths is that the blame was almost always placed on the victim. And like, yeah, they shouldn't have stuck their heads in the elevator shaft, but also, maybe there should be, like, a better system in place? I don't know. These days, the likelihood of dying by elevator is very slim. Fewer than 30 people a year die in an elevator accident, and about half of those are elevator repair people. In fact, you are way more likely to die falling down the stairs than riding an elevator. 40 times more likely. Nowadays, people swear the elevators at the Adolphus Hotel are haunted. There's a YouTube video of the doors all opening and closing seemingly on their own with no one in them. We'll put it on our Instagram page. It could very easily just be a weird malfunction, but given the history the hotel has with elevator deaths, who knows? It seems like the scores of people who died by elevator in that hotel probably have a right to be pissed. I also read that apparently the elevators at the NYU Weinstein dorm are haunted. Apparently, the elevators run so slowly in the Weinstein dorm that the only explanation anyone has come up with is that time doesn't exist once you step inside one of the elevators. It's a void. You are in another dimension when you get into an elevator in the Weinstein dorm, which is a college stoner explanation if I ever heard one. I actually lived in the Weinstein dorm for a while in 99. I don't know if the elevators ran slowly or not. I literally don't remember. I have most of that time in my life blocked out. I do remember there was a Krispy Kreme donut downstairs that you smelled all the time when you were in the dorm, and I gained about 7,000 pounds. Some people believe you can actually purposefully access another dimension using an elevator. You've probably heard of the elevator game. It comes from either Japan or South Korea, depending on who you believe. Supposedly, if you press the buttons in an elevator that goes 10 floors or higher in a very specific order, you will end up in another dimension. I played this goddamn game just for this podcast. Patrick Hines thought it would be cool, but in truth, I think he may be trying to get rid of me. So, here are the rules, according to the Scary Mommy blog. Everyone needs a gimmick, guys. Getting to the other world. One, enter the elevator alone. Do not get out on any of the floors. If any outsiders get on the elevator, you'll need to start over. Two, Proceed to the fourth floor. Three, descend to the second floor. Four, proceed to the sixth floor. Five, return to the second floor. Six, ascend to the tenth floor. Seven, return to the fifth floor. Now, on the fifth floor, a woman might get on. She may or may not appear as someone you know. She might ask you for help or start antagonizing you. You must not respond to her or even look at her. It doesn't matter if she looks like your best friend, 
your English teacher from ninth grade, Kate McKinnon, or your dead mother. If you do look at her, you're fucked. Reports on exactly how fucked vary from story to story, but the overall takeaway is ignore this woman at all costs. Step eight, press the button for the first floor. Now two things might happen. If the elevator descends to the first floor, exit immediately and do not look back or speak. If the elevator starts to go up, you've been allowed into the other world. When you reach the 10th floor, things might look slightly different. No one else will be there. The power might be out. Some players claim to look out windows and see only a red cross in the distance. If you choose to exit the elevator, you should ignore the woman's attempts to question or stop you. If you choose to stay in the elevator and not explore, just press the button for the first floor and return home. Did I need to give you all the steps in detail? No, but I wanted you to know how bonkers it was. And it's probably total crap, right? People ride up and down elevators and ignore ladies who are just trying to find out where the breakfast buffet is or whatever, and no one is going to any other dimension. I mean, right? Well, we're going to find out together in just a minute. And so, dear podcast listener, I played the elevator game so you won't have to. And I recorded it. I went into it completely skeptical. As anyone who has listened to this podcast knows, I don't think elevators can take us to another dimension. Skeptical, by the way, does not mean not terrified out of my wits because I was. Mostly I was afraid the woman who got on the fifth floor would be my ex-girlfriend. That would be worse than being sucked into another dimension. But I did this for you. See how much I love you? Here we go. Okay. Elevator game. Building down. Okay. I'm actually kind of scared. It was spooky. This is scary. Especially when the elevator randomly took me to the 13th floor, even though no one was there. 12. I'm not kidding you guys. 13. Okay. I'm doing it for you guys because I love you. I guess the weirdest thing that happened was that when I got off on the 10th floor, I checked out the window. Apparently, if you succeed and the elevator takes you to another dimension... I may be going to another dimension right now. Oh my god, you guys. All you see outside is a red cross. I saw all of downtown L.A., and I didn't see a Red Cross anywhere. I did see the back of a huge red neon sign that said, Jesus saves. Oh my God, I'm actually getting freaked out. Maybe that was a sign, you know? I gotta get off this fucking elevator. Maybe Jesus saved me from going into another dimension. You better not stop on the fifth floor or I'm gonna fucking die. I was hoping Kate McKinnon would get on on the fifth floor. Also, maybe no one got on on the fifth floor because of social distancing. Like, maybe even specters from other dimensions need to worry about COVID. For one, but it's not registering, and now it's going up. That said, I'm pretty sure the elevator game isn't a thing. And I tried. I must have tried at least six times, all told. Apparently, if it went up, then I was going into the other dimension, but it didn't. It went back down to one, you guys. So, that's it, kids. Here I am. Still in this dimension, everything is the same. Maybe I didn't have the right instructions? 
but I even parked my car in spot number 13 overnight to draw some bad luck. No dice. Listen to me trying to defend the veracity of this stupid game. It's not real. I'm convinced. I'm also spooked out as hell, but I am convinced the elevator game's not a thing. I have spoken. I went back to my room, ate some pizza, watched some Dateline, and fell asleep. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me, edited by Claire Smith-Marish, and researched by Jess McKillop. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. <laughs>